So this morning, we're continuing our series which we started last week, looking through the book of Leviticus. So we've just come out of Easter and all that season brings, the season of celebrating what God has done for us, that he has saved us, and now we're wrestling with the question of, okay, what does it mean now to live as a saved people? What do we look like as individuals and as a community who have been saved? And believing that the book of Leviticus has some things that we might learn, um, some truths that might be able to speak over us into that. And I think for most of us, as we mentioned last week, Leviticus is a bit of a strange book to some people. I realized in putting this book out there, like there seems to be this trend of like people's favorite books are the hard books. So I put it out there and I was like, yes, it's my favorite book. And it was... It's quite an odd experience um, hearing that back, but people are excited to work through Leviticus, which is, yeah, which is awesome. So this morning, I want to, yeah, last week we talked around a bit of the context of Leviticus, that it's a book that's placed at the start of the Old Testament um, and actually needs to be read in context because it's a whole bunch of laws. There's not really much narrative or story in it, so that it makes sense of the laws. You need a kind of view it in its context and a really key piece of this is that it starting with the book of genesis the story of god creating everything creating everything and it being good and then him dwelling with his people that the kind of the final part of creation was god present with his people but then as we all know kind of falling out of that kicked out of the garden and end up in the depths in Egypt as slaves and God saves them out of that calls them out of that and they travel through the desert and they end up at Mount Sinai where God decides to spend a year with them forming them into his people that he would form them out of the habits that they learned as slaves and formed them into his people and this image really of learning to be looking back to Genesis we were people who lived in God's presence. What would it mean to be people who lived in God's presence again? What does that mean? To be a holy people as God is holy. So this morning we're going to read from Leviticus 13, if you've got your Bibles. Last week we had a couple, a couple who was pretty new to this church. I said, come back next week. We're talking about skin diseases. And their response was, are you going to have photos? (laughs) So be prepared. There are photos, but we're going to be talking through this this morning. So if you've got your Bibles from Leviticus 13, chapter 13, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, that may be a defiling skin disease. They must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them, and if he sees that the sore is unchanged and has not spread in the skin, he is to isolate them for another seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again, and if the sore has faded and is not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce them clean. It is only a rash. 
they must wash their clothes and they'll be clean. But if the rash does spread in their skin after they have shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear before the priest again. The priest is to examine that person, and if the rash has spread in the skin, he shall pronounce them unclean. It is a defiling skin disease. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as we enter this into this this morning, maybe it would be helpful for us to pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, we come before you trusting, believing that your word is good, that you can speak into our lives, that the Old Testament has words to say to us that can shape us, form us more and more into your people. May our hearts, may our minds be open to the work you're wanting to do this morning. In your name, amen. So this section, which is talking about skin rashes, comes in a a larger section dealing with unclean or cleanness. The section starts with laws of eating, the animals you can eat, the animals you can't eat, moves on to cleansing around childbirth, we have some skin diseases, and then moves on to households and household molds, and finally finishes with bodily discharges. This is the section of the law of God. And actually, at a surface level, if you read this with some kind of scientific public health lens on, a lot of it actually makes sense. Like, there's some logic to this. Like, even with the animals, the animals that you're allowed to eat and the animals you're not allowed to eat. In terms of safety and health, actually, the animals that you're allowed to eat are generally the safest ones to eat in terms of hygiene. That lamb, which is one of the most common ones in Scripture to eat, is considered one of the most hypoallergenic meats, one you're least likely to be allergic to. There's a logic to some of this. And there's also not just within the meat themselves, but also the animals. Like when you look at the animals that you're not encouraged to eat, it makes sense for people living in the desert, what are the animals that you're going to actually raise up, breed to produce food for yourself? You're probably not going to be super effective if you're breeding eagles for meat. It makes sense, your cows, lamb, like there's some logic here to a people, God saying, actually, these are the ones that would be helpful for you to breed and to eat. These will be the clean ones. And there's also a general sense of logic around some of the household molds, these skin ailments, that talking with medical professionals, it seems like good public health advice. Like if you're sick, rather than getting everyone in the community sick, maybe you should just go see someone and then spend some time in isolation, as we all know, and then come back and get another check. And if you're all good, you're back in. If you're not, go have some more isolation. And there's like, there seems to be this logic of like, we read God's word with that modern lens on. You're like, oh, this seems to make sense. And I think there is truth in that. But I think it's also not the thrust of the, the law. Like it makes sense for us And I think it's not a coincidence, but I think there's something deeper working in there as well. Like if we remember back to the context of Leviticus, like it's made to mirror what it was like in the Garden of Eden. 
and the creation of the Garden of Eden. And the creation story is one of moving from disorder and chaos to one of goodness and order and health. And it makes sense that God's law is let's move away from chaos and disorder and death and move towards health and wholeness. And it kind of works through some of these, like when you look through the animals that they're allowed to eat. One, the animals they're allowed to eat are better animals to breed, but they're also, interestingly, all herbivores. That there's this something in the prohibition of you're not meant to eat animals that eat other animals in this because there's something of life that is sacred. So there's rules around how you kill an animal because it's sacred and you actually don't want an animal that kills another animal because life is sacred. So we don't want to take death lightly. So animals who take other animals' lives, let's steer clear of them. And animals that are scavengers, again, hunting dead animals, let's stay away from those. that something of coming into God's presence is coming into wholeness and health and life. And so we avoid the things that pull us into death and disorder. And actually reading through some of this, it's pretty like, it goes on like this for like chapters and chapters, quite specific. If you've got this, then you do this. If you've got this, then you do this. For us, it's like, if you're reading through this in your daily Bible reading, it's pretty easy to skim. But if you're reading it with an ancient lens, you've probably, like for ancient people, when they're reading the book of Genesis, and we read through it, and we're like, oh, God created the sun, God created the stars, God created the moon, he created these. If you're ancient Israelites reading this, you're hearing like, oh, God created the sun. The sun's not a god. The moon's not a god. Animals aren't gods. Ah, okay. There's just one god. And same as we read through these laws, it's like, ah, there's not these like, demonic powers over sickness this person because they're unwell doesn't mean they've got this demon because in their culture the thing was okay i'm unwell i need to go to a witch doctor or something comparable get this evil spirit off of me and god comes along and says no like again like let's de-escalate this this isn't this isn't that there's not this big you're not this big evil thing overpowered by this evil monster. This is a sickness. And again, the way to get healthy isn't go see a witch doctor or go to another god. It's go follow the god who is the one true god, who is the healer. Because the funny thing reading about these skin diseases, which is one of the reasons I don't have photos, is they actually don't know what they are. Like there's no comparable diseases currently and one of the reasons they say that is the symptoms they can explain they're like oh there are other there are diseases we know line up with these symptoms but none of them line up with go away for seven days and come back and you're fine like that's not the cure for these that there's something of going away that it's only god who does the healing work god's the one who works and heals through your body and restores it so these laws might seem like quite songless, but I think God's doing something there of like de-escalating some of the things we might attribute to sickness and unhealth. And I think there's two things that I want to draw out of this passage this morning as well. There's not just 
removing like the super spiritual demonic element, but it's kind of removing all the, again, these are boring because it removes all the emotional language. There's no fault in this. Any chance of stigma or guilt or shame is pulled, like there's nothing, none of that in there. That as we read through this, whether we read through it, literally the figurative thing, if you're sick, if you're unwell, particularly if you're vi- like visually, people can see this stuff. Let's not guilt you, let's not shame you for being sick, for being unwell, for having sores that everyone can see. They need to be, like, for your good and the community's good, they need to be dealt with. But let's, like, let's not make this anything more than that. Because I think our tendency is to push away that stuff. I found this great quote by this Jewish theologian this week, and she says this, Instead of encouraging the common tendency to look away with disgust, thus feeding fears about illness and disease, Leviticus 13 pushes the individual to pay attention to bodies, not to avert the gaze, but require the gaze. I don't know if any of you have had a a sickness, an illness, particularly one that's got a very visual element to it, and the tendency is to hide, and it can feel shameful, and it can feel hard to show people, and God here is creating a culture that says, actually, let's get rid of that stuff so we can deal with people's, I think here, firstly take the physical, the physical skin stuff, but I think we can probably expand it more holistically. If there's some stuff going on in your life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, let's remove all the shame, all the stigma, all the, like, create a culture where you can bring that like your skin disease, to the priest and say, I think something's wrong. Let's figure this out. Let's diagnose this. And again, when you're forced into isolation, there's no stigma, there's no shame, there's no that person's excluded because you have means to get back into the community. And when you enter, enter into the back, commun- back into the community and understanding you enter back into the community in fullness, You're not a lesser member because you spent a week sick outside of the community or two weeks. There's no like remember so-and-so who had to spend a week there because something was wrong and we don't really know what and now they're back in but do we really trust their health? There's this real sense of the stigma is removed. And later in our, in the further on from our passage this morning, we have a verse that makes me laugh every time I read it. It's probably the one verse that makes me laugh. And it's this from Leviticus 13:40. A man who has lost his head, hair and is bald is clean. <laughs> so if you guys had any questions, I'm clean. It goes on to say if you've got a red rash on your head, then maybe you should get it checked out. But, but it is a funny thing of like, there is a bit of humor to it. Like, but yeah, for ancient people, there probably was an element of like, this guy's losing his hair. Like, is something going on? Like, what's happening? And it could be a spiritual thing. But even for us, like, now, like, you should see my spam folder. It is filled with emails, I don't know how they know, of, like, hair loss treatments come through every day. And I'm like, there's literally an industry built around, like, here's something that could be an insecurity, could have shame, you could feel like you've got to be pushed out. And God, like, and God, through his law, is one of some of the stuff, like, 
this is the great thing, I think, about this passage. It says some stuff is worth diagnosing because some stuff actually isn't going to be anything. Like, I can be panicked, I can isolate, I can be shame, or I can just and the, go to the priest and be like, you're sweet, you've got no red rash, like, you've got no shame in being bald. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm good. And I think that's the thing, the other thing I love about this issue. The first of it removes any sense of stigma, or shame, or guilt around physical, but I think all kinds of illness, dysfunction, is that it also invites us into a process of discernment. That someone who's unwell isn't like, oh, you're straight out. Send you out, we'll come back in a week and we'll figure it out. There's this like, you go to the priest and he examines you. And it's not this, like, it's this process where it's like, we'll give you a week, we're not quite sure, we'll figure it out. You get this period of isolation and then we'll see. Which I think is something, again, for us it might be physical stuff or it might be emotional, it might be spiritual. There's stuff, when stuff bubbles up in our lives, that feels hard, it feels shameful, it feels like this defiling skin disease and God says, before you like self-diagnose, you Google diagnose yourself as like worst case scenario. There's a community who wants to gather around you. There's people, safe people you can go to them, but they might be like, actually, this isn't that big of a deal. We've had a look and you're not as bad as you think you are. Or they might be like, oh, this is something that's worth addressing. Here's a way to go about it and here's the avenues to get back to health that there's this discernment process where God creates a holy people by when stuff comes up, it gets dealt with without shame and through wise discernment. And when we look at the separation, separation's kind of linked with this word holiness, that holiness in Leviticus is not a separation for separation's sake, but separation for the sake of a thriving community of the people of God and the reconciliation of each person to God that we're called to be a holy people and we're holy people, like we talked about last week, where we actually can diagnose what's going on, unhealth, illness, might be literal physical ailments and have avenues to come back and be a holy community. And the Lord does have some awkward passage after this of like, if you've got a defiling skin disease, you kind of are sitting on the outside of the community but I don't think that's the end of the story. And I think we look to Jesus' own ministry to see that the goal is not exclusion when stuff comes up. Because I guess the thing is here, it's when this stuff comes up, any kind of isolation, it's for your own good, but it's also for the community's good that this stuff spreads. But it's never meant to be a permanent thing. And we see this beautiful story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus has this encounter with the woman who is bleeding. And if you look through the Levitical law, like, she couldn't be part of the community in its fullness until her bleeding stops. But God enters in and is the God of healing to restore her back. And the story is as follows in Luke chapter 8. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, 
Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. That God's goal, God's vision is to create a holy people and he does that through healing people who can be part of this holy community with him. That we are called to be holy as he is holy, but he gives us again avenues to receive that healing and wholeness. That for us sometimes when stuff comes up in our own lives and other people's lives, it can be easy to stigmatize and reject and push out to keep ourselves safe. And God says, actually, I'm ultimately about creating a holy people through healing those people. They get sent out with the goal that they re-enter. That we enter into this discernment of actually, when is stuff worth bringing up? with a discernment into the messy and the hard. We don't just avoid it. And last week, we kind of talked around spending some time with God in silence to let the stuff bubble up within us. And this week, I want to invite us into another practice. How are we going to become this community, this holy community, that when stuff comes up, we deal with it? And I think we become... I think there's one way we can become this community is that we can go like Jesus was and be those agents of healing in our community. Whether it's physical healing, whether it's other elements where they have these kind of cultural defiling skin diseases, we can go out, reach out and be those agents of healing to bring them back into the community of God. And if God's stirring you on that this morning, I totally encourage you to go that avenue. But I wonder this morning, as I reflect on us as in our community, I think the step that I'll invite us to take, and it might seem a bit counterintuitive, is to us as a community and individuals is to start saying yes to help. That for the last couple of years, we've had COVID raging around the world, and there's been a whole lot of other factors, but I think it's made this almost default option or this easy option in our faith lives of we can do it in isolation. I've got my worship playlist. I've got my favorite preachers on my podcasts. I've got my Bible. Like, I'm sorted. This kind of faith where I can sort it all myself. And I think as I reflect, how do we become this community of healing, this community of life, called to life here at the well, I wonder if the invitation is to say yes to help. Because we have a lot of people, all you guys are amazing at helping others. Someone asked to help. We have, like, one person asked to help. We have 10 people there ready to, like, drop everything, go assist. But I think the challenge for us might be to start actually accepting help. I know for me, when someone asks, like, it doesn't even have to be the, anything significant. Do you need anything? Do you need help? My re- default response is, no, I'm sweet, I'm good. I don't need any help. I can so- and I think it is this, I don't need any help. I don't actually need any help. I can sort this stuff out myself. And I think it's a conditioning of 
training, a forming that I've been under to be self-sufficient with the goal of being the helper rather than the helped. That for me, actually sometimes saying yes feels almost dishonest because it's like, no, I don't actually need help. So I'm going to challenge us this week, the coming weeks, to say yes when someone asks help. I know for me, I'm going to have to do some prep around this. So I've got a prepared answer I shared at the nine that if someone says, hey, David, do you need anything? My, if I've got nothing else, my response back will be, yeah, actually a cup of coffee would be nice. Like, there's nothing significant, but just like entering into like, oh, this isn't just about me and my, this is entering into a relationship. This is entering into life by entering into community. And as I reflect back over my years in youth ministry, realizing like, oh, this is actually, this is all ages, but even for me working with youth, there's this key part of, if you're just the helper doing stuff, you're not actually helping that there's something of you've got to develop agency and invite people to contribute as part of a community for it to be a whole and healed community. Because I think ultimately as the well, we're not a social service. We're not just here to go and provide goods for the community. We totally should and need to have a positive, selfless, sacrificial relationship with our community but I wonder if the first step we need to take is to model some kind of vulnerability. And as I read through the disciples' journey, I think of the story when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. This moment where they're like, this doesn't work this way around. Like, you're not meant to wash our feet. We're meant to wash yours. And I wonder if there's something for us of like, when, some, when people ask you this week, this coming week, do you need anything? Do you need some help? I want to invite you to say yes. Our family was locked down about two, three weeks ago, and we, Sydney had multiple people asking, hey, do you need anything? And she was great at being like, yes, please, some takeaway coffees would be great on this day. I'm te- like, I had mates texting me, and I was just like, nah, bro, I'm fine. And then realizing afterwards, like, oh, I missed a chance at connection of building community through that. Through I- literally... We were literally isolated, but I chose to socially isolate ourselves even more. So I want to invite you. They may, you may say the same thing. Yes, actually, a coffee would be great. They may not go to the barista that you like. They may muck up your coffee order, but it's the, the idea is you're building this community of healing by being vulnerable, being open, receiving healing. Because we are... Gr- Here at the well, we are great, caring, loving people, but I don't know if we're always so good at receiving stuff from people. So I want to invite the band up this morning as we close. So I guess as I reflect back over the sermon, there's something of, as we read these texts around defiling skin diseases the invitation I think from God is see it as removing any stigma any shame from the pain the suffering particularly the visible seeable obvious stuff because I think if we can do that as a community people will actually step in and receive healing 
when that stuff is stigmified and shamed, people hide away and isolate themselves in the wilderness anyway. Secondly, enter into discernment process. When stuff bubbles up for you, for your friends, the invitation is not quick solutions, but enter into discernment where we figure out this together. And I think, finally, we get to this place of a community who can deal with this stuff by being vulnerable, by simply saying yes to others, to help. Do you need anything? Do you need a meal? Do you need a coffee? Do you need a chat on the phone? And just like, I know like this is gonna have to be a very intentional process for myself and for some of you guys of like learning this. But I think God wants to work and move and create a community where others can come in and notice that culture and also contribute. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, as we enter into worship this morning, we're just so thankful that we are who we are because firstly we have received from you. We are made clean, we are made whole, we are made holy by you through your blood. Help us to be a community who can welcome others in to that healing, to that wholeness, to that cleansing. Help us to be a community who can not just give help but receive it. In your name, Lord Jesus. Well, thanks for listening. We hope this teaching has served you well and that you've sent something of God's voice speaking to you. If there's any way that we can help or pray for you, support you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. You can find out our contact info on our website at thewellnz.org or flick us an email at support at thewellnz.org. God bless you. We look forward to hearing from you soon.